You're listening to The Local Maximum, episode 231. Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Sklar. Welcome, everyone. Welcome. You have reached another Local Maximum uh, I am currently, well, when I'm rec- as I'm recording this, I'm currently staying in Raleigh, North Carolina for a wedding. When this goes out, I will be back home. But uh, yes, I was in a wedding party uh, this weekend uh, with Aaron for our mutual friend Craig and Suzanne. Uh, Craig, who was the groom, and he's been on the show, actually. Craig's been on the show, episode 95 uh, specifically. I think I think he's been on the show multiple times, but that was the big one. Uh, That was the episode where we did uh, inspiration from gaming, uh, product inspiration from gaming. And I talked to Craig and I talked to uh, Dennis Crowley. uh, So I'll definitely link to that. Um, And uh, and uh, yeah, wedding wedding was amazing. uh, But um, some crazy things happened. You know, there was a big storm and the power was out for the entire reception. Now, fortunately, uh, the food was already cooked and the, the DJ and everyone had had kind of a backup power generator i don't know i don't know how they did that the the venue did not so it was but it wasn't dark yet you know because it gets gets light late here uh so um so the, the the show went on and everything went pretty well i think um but that was kind of a a unique situation uh, a very interesting thing that happened this weekend and i think everyone had a good time i mean i don't know you know it's a wedding i don't know what uh, what kind of drama happened behind my back but uh no it was a good a good time was had by all as far as i'm concerned uh next week so as you know, I'm once again talking to you from the road um, multiple times this month, uh, and that makes this show kind of difficult, but the show will go on. Uh, next week, I am traveling once again to Porkfest. That's up north in Lancaster, New Hampshire. That's the Liberty Conference up there. It's, uh, again, all outdoors. I'm giving a couple of talks. Uh, I'm actually sponsoring the local maximum um, on uh on uh, the, the the local maximum is a sponsor for Park Fest, which means that you know the 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 logo will be on the on the main stage. Um, we'll see how that goes. Whether that was a good idea or not, I think it was. I think it'll be a lot of fun. It was a good idea. It wasn't too expensive, um, and um, you know maybe I maybe I should actually uh, sponsor some some tech uh, conferences as well. Um, and so I'm giving two talks. I'm giving like Intro to Liberty 101 on inflation, which. I am now. I'm like I don't. Can't, I can't believe I got roped into this because now I have to. Uh, I have to look up like what is inflation, and uh, apparently it's a lot more difficult than I thought it was. But I think I'm going to be able to put something good together. Uh, and then the last day, Friday, I'm going to give a talk that will not be recorded because I want to be able to say stuff that uh, I can't quite say on the podcast about, um, you know, how crazy it's getting politically at work. I know I've said a few things in the podcast, but I can be more specific when I'm not being recorded. Uh, so if you want to come to that, uh, let me know because I do have some extra tickets. So localmaxradio at gmail.com or just come to the locals, maximum.locals.com for tickets. Obviously, people on the locals will get uh, uh, will get priority. But uh, uh, but but yeah, I, I'm looking forward to that and looking forward to both those talks, even though that's a lot of talks to give. I used to think it was a very glamorous lifestyle going around the country, um, giving speeches and stuff. But uh, all this prep, <laughs> it's a lot of work, this prep. No, it's still a, it's still kind of a lot of fun. Um, so I know we have to talk about the crypto markets as well. They just, as, as, as uh, someone I know would say, they just took a huge dump, another huge dump. Uh, now, for me, it's like, you know, we, 
we've been here before for sure. And there's all this crazy talk on uh, Reddit and Twitter. And when crypto was up, people were saying, oh, it's always going to go up. It's way higher than, than, than you think it is. And then when it's down, people are like, it's way lo- it's going to go way lower than you think it is. And usually neither are true. And I think um, we, we've been here before uh, several times uh, since I've gotten in. But even while I've been doing the podcast we've been in, I think we were in this cycle. Uh, this is about where we were in the uh, in the Bitcoin cycle when we were uh, around November 2018. So I kind of want to go back and and see what I was saying around November uh, 2018 and related to our day. But we could talk about this a bit more at some point. I don't really have everything together today. And also, let's see like where this all shakes out. Uh, the crypto markets always choose to go nuts when I am away. Uh, and, um, it's very difficult for me to like, you know, be on, on top of the markets and stuff. I remember very distinctly, uh, when I, I think it was when, um, when the, the Dow, the, the, the original Dow, the, the, the Ethereum based decentralized autonomous organization, when that kind of blew up and became Ethereum Classic, and Ethereum split apart, and it was it was it was kind of uh, 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 dropping precipitously, and everyone was like, Ethereum is dying. Of course, that wasn't true. Um, and uh, I was I was in Africa. I was in Ghana, Africa. Barely had internet. I had enough internet to check the prices. The price could come in. Images were not coming in too well into my phone, but uh, but the price information, that's only a few bits, so that was coming in. Maybe I got a few emails here and there, but it's like, yeah, there's nothing I could do about this when I'm in Africa, and I feel the same way. I mean, I know it's... Uh, <laughs> I know I, I know they have internet in North Carolina, but I'm away from all my... Uh, you know, all, all my device. I'm, I'm, I'm doing things all day, you know, which is probably good. It's probably a good thing to kind of be away from the markets when everything's crashing and, and be able to to relax a little bit. Um, so we can talk about and, 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 and you know, I, I think it's these markets. You got to think long term about these markets. And I'm, I'm very excited about crypto and specifically Bitcoin and Ethereum in the long term. I think Bitcoin and Ethereum uh, have uh, kind of different use cases and both uh, can coexist. And um, we haven't really, we've talked about Bitcoin on the show. We've talked about Ethereum on the show. We haven't really done a, a, a comparison. So that would be an interesting thing to do at some point in the future. But yeah, let's see where this all shakes out and we'll talk about what happened in the crypto markets. Obviously, when there's down market, it's helpful to look at some of the individual decisions and situations that have caused companies to go bust because that could help you know, prevent the same mistake and it could kind of help figure out, well, who's doing things right. Um, you know, so, so, and, and, and all that. So, so so that's great. Obviously, you know, the ones that come to mind are Celsius and, um, what's that one called? 3AC. I actually hadn't heard of it before, uh, before today. So yeah, uh, I definitely have not done enough research to talk about it with you, but it's something I'm interested in. So what are we doing today? Today's episode, we're going to talk about AI research, but I realize it's going to get a little technical, whereas I think we all want to know, like, what's AI going to be able to do in the future? We all want to see our self-driving car. By the way, I've been in, I was in a Tesla recently that does almost self-driving, that has some self-driving features, and boy, is it trippy. Like, you, you could be in one end of the parking lot and call it, and it just comes to you with no driver, and I'm like, what if someone looks over and sees it? Uh, so that that is really trippy. Um, you know, 
Are we going to have robots cleaning my house? Am I going to have a digital assistant that's actually not an idiot? It's really that voice that you can talk to and is super smart and can understand you and solve your problems. That's the level that we're after when we talk about artificial general intelligence. And so I kind of think AI researchers all think they're they're building towards this general intelligence. But what applications, what... Um, what uh, advances do they come up with along the way that, that end up leading to products that, that affect our lives? That's, that's often a big question. Um, so you have these large language models that are all the rage these days. You know, we've talked about GPT-3 on the program. We've talked about Lambda on the program last week, and, and that's where these large language uh, models purport to be building. They purport to, they, they purport to be shooting at that general AI, this, uh, this kind of this friend, not necessarily a friend, but, but something that you can talk to and has kind of a, a high level of understanding of, of what you're saying. And last week, we went over the thing that happened at Google where an employee was put on leave after claiming that their chatbot Lambda is sentient. Uh, one thing that I did not go over last week, and I'm glad I didn't go over because a very deep, very difficult question is how would we know if a machine is actually sentient? How can we uh, determine that? I can't answer that today, but but I, I think it's a very deep question, and I I think I would go to an even um, more fundamental question, which is, do we have any tools at all to be able to answer this question? And so I'm going to try to figure out if uh, if, if we do, um, because I'm kind of open to the possibility that that we do not we do not have any tools at all to determine whether a machine is sentient. So um, though I don't know how, all the details of um, what uh, what Lambda has, I'm pretty sure it's not sentient. Uh, I'm pretty sure it, it doesn't really understand what it's saying. But uh, uh, let's uh, let I, I think the, the deeper question is is way more interesting, the philosophical question. Uh, but everyone talks about AI progress. What's it going to mean? So let's start with some review. And today's review, I'm going to go back way back into episode 27. Yes, all the way back to uh, to 2008. In episode 27, we talked about. Uh, big algorithm, and um, the idea, and that, that was kind of a play off the term big data. And um, we learned about uh, DARPA's new initiative, which is learning with less labels. And it just means, you know, if you're going to train an, an, an AI using machine learning, then you're going to uh, you're going to need training data. So you're going to need some examples. Maybe it's uh, some examples of the English language. Um, maybe it's some examples of, of photos, you know. Something, uh, for example, that we have is the uh, is is a a, a a a a an algorithm that detects whether an image is an image of a hot dog. That was famously on Silicon Valley, but uh, actually, Foursquare built that. I think before that came out on Silicon Valley, we had a we had a hot dog recognizer, and we can recognize hot dogs and hamburgers and milkshakes on all the Foursquare photos. Um, so, the idea was. Uh, you need lots of pictures of hot dogs. You need lots of pictures that are not hot dogs. And, and um, DARPA's idea is that they want to be able to train um, machine learning algorithms with less examples, which means, which is a good thing. That's sort of my bias-corrected uh, sampling papers related to that. And it's just like, let's use less data and try to make the most of what we have. And therefore, we use less energy and less cost in order to get the same output. So they feel this will give this them an edge and reduce costs. And so, um, yeah, it was one idea that, hey, maybe we could win on data, but maybe we could also win on algorithm. And so I want to come back, to, I want to come to this paper 
that um, came out recently on computational trends, which really kind of takes this uh, takes this idea and and puts this together. The paper is called uh, "Compute Trends Across Three Eras of Machine Learning." It came out on uh, March 9th of this year. Um, and it has a few authors, uh, not a thousand authors like some of these Google uh, Google ones have, but it's six authors. So someone, some individual could actually take responsibility for what was written here. First author is Jamie Sevilla, University of Aberdeen, uh, Leonard Haim, uh, Center for the Governance of AI, Anson Ho, uh, University of St. Andrews, Tamei. Bezeroglu, uh, MIT. Uh, I didn't know I'd be reading these names, so I didn't actually. But now that I've done four, I have to do the other two, right? Okay, this is Marius uh, Hobhan at the University of uh, Tübingen and Pablo Villalobos of the Computational University of Madrid. So, all right, what is this paper about? Uh, what they do in this paper is they identify three key areas where machine learning makes progress. So the first area is advances in computational power. It's just like, okay, uh, how powerful are our computers? How powerful are our processors? And that is a, that's a hardware question. And so even if we did nothing on the software side, even if we just you know said, okay, we're going to use this same algorithm, uh, we're going to use uh, this amount of data and this algorithm. Okay, certain algorithms maybe don't um, don't improve with uh, computational power. Let's say you just do like a logistic regression, and um, you have a certain amount of data. You can't in increase the amount of data you have. You have this kind of simple uh, linear model. You train it, and the only thing that more computational power can do is it can uh, make sure that you can train in, in less time. But if it already trains in a reasonable amount of time, then uh, you're not going to get much advanced. But a lot of these more complicated algorithms, these more complicated um, uh, schemes for coming up with, with a model, uh, these, uh, the, the, these, in these situations, the computational power really makes a big difference. Even if you're just doing like a, a, a XG boost, which is like a kind of a, a famous bread and butter machine learning algorithm that involves like multiple uh, decision trees all kind of averaged together. Um, well, you could do more and more of those. You get computational power advances and then you could do even more and then your algorithm should be even better. So that's one of them, hardware only and hardware is always improving, which is great. Uh, the second one is advances in data size. So that's the big data strategy. That's, I think, the Google strategy, which is just get more and more data to build your models. And um, the more data you have, the better, uh, the, the, you know, the, the, the better your models will be, the more examples it will have seen. So that's, that's one way to improve. And then the third way to improve is algorithm advances. And algorithm advances could be a few things. You might think that these large language models is, uh, are, are that, that Google is building and that OpenAI is building. You might think that those uh, have been um, made possible by algorithm advances. And I'd, I'd say only sort of. I think the, um, the big thing that they're doing is they're focusing on data size, tons of data, tons of examples of the English language and questions and answers and, you know, that sort of thing. And then the second one is to throw a lot of computational power at it. And then the algorithm is just kind of a tripped out version of a deep neural net, which we've already had. So you, you use this kind of 
great, like good algorithm, but you throw so much data at it and you throw so much computational power at it that you can kind of make the architecture a little bigger. So you can like just say, okay, we have a neural net, but it's a bigger neural net, but it's kind of the same idea. And uh, it's just going to yield a better and better result. And so then next year comes out and we have more powerful computers and we have more data and we could beat what we did last year. And so that's the idea of GPT-2 uh, to GPT-3. Um, and we also talked about this little bit, uh, a little bit about the research in, so that, that the algorithm advances can be a lot more creative. And that's, I think, the point I want to talk about today. We talked about this in uh, research with uh, uh, research and algorithm advances with Andrew Gelman in episode 201, when we talked about statistical insights, where, um, you know, some of the research into the you know, uh, uh, like the, 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 the samplers, the, the, the Bayesian samplers, like the no-U-turn samplers, uh, that research was identified as a bottleneck. And so they would come up with ways of improving the search of the solution space. And so that is an algorithm advance. Now, you know, you could say that uh, just having a neural net and then building a larger neural net is an algorithm advance. But uh, I would think an algorithm advance would be, you know, changing you know, top to bottom, how the neural net really works or, you know, uh, coming up with a whole different scheme for, for how to organize everything. Those are algorithm advances. So note the first two. So the three we have are computational power, data size, and algorithm. So, uh, you know, big computer, big data, and big algorithm. Those are the, those are the three. Note that the first two, uh, uh, big computer and big data, that's a function of tremendous scale. So that's an area where a company like Google kind of wins in the area of AI or large government program, perhaps. Maybe a, if they had an AI Manhattan project, they would win on these, uh, on these scales. Not that I would want that to happen, but, the, but that's, that's what they win. So to compete, I think for a smaller group or an upstart group or, or a group that um, wants to, uh, let's say, affect some creative destruction on the AI landscape, I think... I think the, the, the strategy there would be to compete on algorithm, a big algorithm or different algorithm, because these large institutions, they're not going to use dumb algorithms, obviously, as they build their things bigger and bigger. They're not just going to continue to do linear regression and some, you know, but they, they have a very smart kind of neural network architecture, but, and they're going to hire the best. So it's not like you're, you're going to have your, your work cut out for you easily, but Competing on algorithm, that's the only one where it's possible, first of all, it's possible to do something radically different, like find a niche, where you can't do that in computational power. It's almost, it's one-dimensional. Um, and also, uh, if you're going to compete on algorithm, it's kind of possible to be creative, and in that sense, it's possible to outwit a bureaucracy like you would find at a large company like Google, or, or even at academia, or certainly in academia, or at, you know, in, in a government program. Uh, so um, th this kind of confirms my uh, belief that um, you know uh, big algorithm is always changing, and I I don't think we've found the the master algorithm yet. Uh, Pedro Domingo, he's the author of a book called The Master Algorithm, who that talks about. Uh, we haven't talked about that on the show yet, but um, we kind of talked about uh, that 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 book kind of talks about all the different approaches to machine learning and how we might one day be able to combine them. Um, but uh, I think um, I think that uh, I, I think that thinking about algorithms is where the interesting stuff comes along, whereas some of the 
more heralded advances uh, of late of like large language models are just, uh, you know, we're just kind of getting that for free as computers get better and better with Moore's Law and as, you know, we have more and more data on the internet and that sort of thing, uh, which is not bad. It's not that, that we don't, not that like, it's not that those are useless, but I feel like all the, it's built on more interesting innovations and just to get us to, 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 to that edge was the, the, the uh, the, the 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 adding some more uh, machines to it is 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 not that interesting. So so algorithms where the interesting stuff happens, um, and also in addition to um, the three areas where machine learning makes progress, this paper also talks about three eras of machine learning. The first is like pre deep learning, which is kind of funny because I went to grad school in uh, twenty ten, and you know I learned from Jan LeCun himself what deep learning is, and I they would probably say the deep learning era starts right after that, like 2011, 2012, but it's kind of funny because they put the entire history of AI before, uh, as I was in grad school and before, into one bucket pre-deep learning. So three errors are uh, pre-deep learning, deep learning, and large scale, and they're saying today is the large scale. They kind of identify a shift during the middle era, during the deep learning era, which is like the 2010s, and the large scale areas of the 2020s, and the, the pre-deep learning, let's say, is the 2000s, and, you know, 20th century would be uh, the, the dark ages of AI, I guess, <laughs> AI winter. Um, so they kind of identify a shift in 2015, uh, you know, in the middle of the, the deep learning era as large scale starts to take over, where the compute power required for imp improvements uh, starts to grow exponentially. So I guess the idea is before that, you can add some more machines, you can, you know, just wait for costs of machines to come down and great if you're a researcher you throw some more compute power at it and uh and you get some improvements but now the improvements require the the compute power required for improvements has grown exponentially and you know until that time the compute power required an exponential curve as well but it was similar to moore's law and so i think just eyeballing the graph here it's like a factor of 10 every six years ago but recently Recently, that curve has gone super exponential with a doubling of compute power required for the latest AI going higher and higher. And so this outstrips advances in computation in general. So it's not just that um, we have more compute power now because, uh, you know, like we're used to, computers just getting better and better and, and doubling every 18 months or whatever Moore's law is. Um, but um, it's that like AI research has been moved forward because um, these large institutions have been able to pull more and more compute power, and not that they're they're not just throwing more computation at it; they're throwing a lot more money at it. They're increasing their scale because they think that could uh, get them to the next level. So another way of looking at this is that we kind of went to an 18-month doubling time uh, to double. Um, double computational power to like a six-month doubling time where it's growing a lot faster. And so it just means these companies are, uh, these research uh, wings of, of largely companies today are competing on building bigger and more expensive systems. Uh, so, so what does that mean? That doesn't really sound very uh, sustainable, does it? You can't just outstrip, uh, you can't just... 
uh, you know, outstrip the, the the power of computational improvements in general, where, you know, that's kind of a research and innovation area. You can't just outstrip that forever uh, and just suck more and more money into your research. So I, I think there are several possible takeaways here. First of all, compute power uh, now becomes the bottleneck. It's, it's uh, you know, it's so big and so expensive. So that would mean in the short term, big tech wins, unfortunately, because they have the most of it. Um, but it could also mean that, you know, compute power becomes, was the bottleneck, but at some point it's improved so much that there's now low hanging fruit elsewhere. In other words, everything that you can throw computational power and solve Google already solved, but then the, the, um, then there are certain things that they, they can't solve. It just becomes too expensive because of this, uh, this super exponential curve. And so the interesting research has to go elsewhere, or at least the, 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 the right, the computational winners will have already won in certain areas. So the interesting research is now in other areas. I hope that makes sense. As a result of, of what's happened, though, the percent of large-scale AI work coming from academia in particular, academia in particular, has plummeted to almost zero in recent years. It's a very dramatic graph on that. It used to be like 60-70%. So um, there's been some reactions to this. Jack Clark on Twitter of Anthropic.ai says that the frontier of knowledge is now accruing to the private sector. Now, normally, me personally, I wouldn't mind that, but we're talking about big tech private sector uh, yet again, um, concentrated in a small amount of companies. Um, we went over the last week how the culture at Google AI, for example, just seems bizarre and full of power-hungry narcissists. At least that's what how it looks in, in the media to me, I mean, uh, you know, without being on the inside. And if that's the case, having them control uh, the future of AI for the time being, that doesn't sound like a good idea. That sounds like that would be a problem. Um, another, uh, another reaction comes from Gary Marcus, an author on AI issues, who is looking at this trend on big tech, and he says the following, uh, we should all worry about this graph that's showing no more of the research is happening in uh, in academia. Academia has its problems, but I have never seen anything like the current AI ML monoculture, the movement from a peer-reviewed academic culture to a corporate resource-intensive, hype-driven cult culture is likely partly responsible. Um, so... Um, how do we deal with this? I have several ideas. I want to study it more. Uh, first, maybe I want to get some of these smart people on my show. Who are the people I mentioned? Jack Clark, Gary Marcus. Maybe I'll reach out to them. Um, second, I want to kind of uh, disentangle some of the things that he said there. Um, notice he said hype-driven culture, and I think that's a loaded term. Uh, is the suggestion that academia is not hype-driven? I feel like you know, I, I might be able to argue that uh, academia, in fact, is hype-driven. Um, perhaps we would need to disentangle that, though. Perhaps there's a counter-argument of, well, yes, academia is not hype-driven, but um, <laughs> the, they're not as dumbly following hypes as... Uh, the, 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 because they move much slower, they're not following the hype cycle as callously as... Um, the good folks in big tech. Uh, maybe maybe that's the, the suggestion. Um, the, the word monoculture is interesting as well. Uh, what is that monoculture in big tech? That's the same word used by, um, oh, who's that guy at, at Google who got fired? 
Uh, now I want to look this up because I did not, um, I did not uh, intend to, um, I did not intend to, uh, right, James Damore, right? He's the one who, who, um, who wrote that, um, what did he do? That was a long time ago. Right, he were okay, I'm pulling this up. He wrote the 3,000-word memo regarding biological differences between the sexes. I've, okay, you all remember this, and people said that his things were harmful, discriminatory, disruptive. He got fired. Uh, you know, I think he was, he was also asked to write it, though, and maybe he didn't understand the current environment and didn't know how to uh, tactfully put together his message or have a discussion about it. Maybe the people who asked him to write it didn't want to have that discussion. Um, there, there were problems all around with how that whole thing was handled. But let's just say this. Um, he used the term monoculture, and so I don't think that his description of the monoculture versus some of these AI people's description of the monoculture at, at Google would be the same description. But it's, it's still, it's an interesting word. I, I want to kind of pull it apart a little bit more. What is the monoculture at Google? Is there kind of a, um, are they, do they sort of shepherd everyone into one way of thinking? And I, I sort of feel like in academia, that it, there used to be a culture in academia where you have people with vastly different thought processes, although I hear it was like that at Yale when I was there. But I hear now it's, it's, you know, maybe not like that anymore. So that, that's also a problem. But yeah, monoculture is bad. But I, wa I want to disentangle what, what, what he means by that. Um, anyway, whole, whole lot of, I thought that tweet was, was very interesting, though, because even though there's a lot of words there that I want to drill into and find out what they mean, uh, it was a very thought-provoking tweet, uh, um, uh, tweet uh, from Gary Marcus about... Uh, how he's very concerned about things moving from academic to uh to say google um so also um so 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 what how else do we deal with this secondly you know coming back to our starting topic uh, you know ways to compete with big data on the algorithm side very interesting idea we need to learn how to do that remember the field of artificial intelligence is so vast and the reason why artificial, the field of artificial intelligence is so vast is because the field of intelligence is so vast because intelligence, um, intelligence covers everything. Uh, so, yeah, there has to be many solutions. There are many natural intelligences, you know, many uh, humans that have different types of intelligences. One person can be good at, um, in this area. Another person can be good in that area. And it was never winner-take-all. And there are some animals who are very smart about doing certain things that, that humans can't do. And so likewise, I think there will be many different artificial intelligences. I uh, disagree with the people who say that it's a winner-take-all market. Um, personally, I'm still working on newmap.ai, but it's long-term. I'm actually ready to get some basic feedback on the type system from engineers if you're interested. More on that to come. But right now, I'm solving more... Uh, you know, metadata issues and versioning issues before I tackle the more, you know, uh, the, the higher level intelligence issues. But that's kind of the idea that I'm going back to the base. I really need a good way to describe that, uh, which is which is what I will do in the coming months. So I look forward to uh, continuing to follow the future of AI uh, on the local maximum. Oh, also, uh, wait a minute. There's one more tidbit from Gary Marcus I think that I forgot to mention let me just pull this up for a second right it's the it's the graph so the the graph shows more specifically that the percent of large-scale AI results in academia plunged from 60 percent to close to zero in the last 10 years that's a new trend and 
okay, it's caused the, by the fact that the large scale uh, that uh, this large scale requires indu- industrial strength tech, and only Google can afford it. Okay, good. That's just that's summary. We already talked about this. Yeah, but I'm really looking forward to continuing to following the future of AI on the local maximum. So I hope you'll join me, and you know, bear with me for the next few weeks as I come back from from travel and start to get my guest roster together again, which I I have some really interesting ideas. I have some interesting mathematical ideas I want to talk about. I still want to go over the 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 simplex, which is a fascinating uh, family of shapes uh, on the mathematical side. I was going to go over it today, but I think we're a little out of time. Uh, and um, uh, yeah, we'll have Aaron back on for a a, a, a news update, and um, and maybe I'll I'll take some of these talks at Porkfest and I'll I'll make podcast episodes out of them. So looking forward to it. Hope you're enjoying your your summer. Have a great week, everyone. That's the show. To support the local maximum, sign up for exclusive content and our online community at maximum.locals.com. The Local Maximum is available wherever podcasts are found. If you want to keep up, remember to subscribe on your podcast app. Also, check out the website with show notes and additional materials at localmaxradio.com. If you want to contact me, the host, send an email to localmaxradio at gmail.com. Have a great week. Feel the power.